Thank you, Parker. You know, church, we're in a battle. We're in a, a war. And often you might expect I would talk about some kind of a war, a different kind of war, wars that are going on right now in the world. But the war I think we need to look at as we start our time this morning in ending Revelation together. Uh, I have a stutter, by the way, and as I've shared before, ours are the worst, so I'm kind of looking forward to that part being done. But uh, I've loved this series, but um, we get to wrap up our time in it together. And this morning, what I want us to consider and to look at is the war that we fight with ourselves primarily to, to believe um, what is actually true and to interact with the world as it actually is, because we are tempted to view, especially the Bible, and especially this book that we're wrapping up together, Revelation, we tend to view it as a fairy tale, as talking about something that is out there that doesn't really have anything to do with our lives now or our lives in general. We kind of treat it like it's, you know, a comic or something like that. In fact, here's what one uh, author and pastor, uh, Tim Keller, who's quoting J.R. Tolkien, also an, another author, um, this is what he says. When you are in the middle of a great fairy tale, the fairy tale lets you live, even briefly, with the dream that love without parting, escape from death, triumph over evil are real and real, realizable. The gospel's message is that through Jesus Christ, every single one of these things the fairy tale talks about is true and will come to pass. We will see an absolute triumph over evil. There is a prince who will save us forever. Again, our tendency, the fight that we're in, if you will, is to view the world that we interact with, the world as we see it, as we experience it as real, as reality, and then we're tempted to treat um, God and his word as something out there that maybe when it aligns or when it makes sense with the way we see and understand things, we will apply it or seek to insert it into our lives. But otherwise, that's just something out there. And the message, the point of revelation is for us, for humanity, especially for God's people, the, the church as it's referred to, to have our lives actually shaped by who God is and by what God is saying. And so this whole point of revelation is for God to win the war, if you will, with ourselves, to have our lives submitted to and shaped and informed by who he is and by what he's doing and what he will do in the world. And so as we wrap up this incredible book that we've been talking about, right, dragons and, and different, multi, different animals that have multiple heads and wear multiple crowns and all these things, the whole point has been to incite our imagery, to use creativity, to again align our lives under God, to view the world, God says, as it actually is. God says, you don't see all these things. Let me pull back the curtain and reveal to you the world as it actually is. Let me reveal to you, God says, who I am, good and powerful, and what I'm doing, 
the author and the hero of the whole story. And so this morning, what we get to do is wrap up this whole book with the end. What we are marching toward in the plan is that God says, I want you to live in light of, I want you to live today in light of what is still to come. What I will do, let me reveal to you, let me tell you about this good end of the story, that if you follow me, if you put your faith in Jesus, you get to participate in. And so this is what we'll see, okay? We, as we wrap up this book, as we look at these last two chapters, we get to see that Jesus will return and that he will rule over a real place with real people doing real things in the presence of God forever. And I know I just said that ours are my worst, right? And I just filled that full of ours. So uh, with that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Um, but, but before I do, uh, I didn't introduce myself yet. I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Dave. And, uh, and again, I'm, I'm glad that we get to kind of wrap up our time in this book together that I get to preach through it. It's one of my favorite things to get to preach through and to get to walk through. And um, uh, so go ahead and turn with me if you have a Bible with you to, again, the, the end. The very end of the Bible um, is Revelation, and we're in the last two chapters, chapter 21 and 22. If you don't have a Bible with you and you would like one, which I would encourage, will you hold your hand up and keep it up? And I want to make sure that you know this is God talking and not just me so you can look and follow along. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, let this be our gift to you. And if you would prefer a Bible in Spanish, um, we have those as well. Just um, just uh, tell us and look, look. Let us know. So again, will you join me now in prayer as we uh, walk through our time together in Revelation? Lord, we come before you right now, all from different places, um, maybe hungover from tryptophan, too much turkey, maybe hungover from something else, uh, maybe grieving, maybe celebrating, maybe anxious, excited. Lord, all from different places, I know I need to be shaped by the true story of the world. I'm so tempted to interact with this world, to walk through life as I see it, as I experience it. We are sold all kinds of different messages about where life is found, about if we purchase this next product, if we do this next thing, we take on this eating routine or exercise routine or whatever it is, we get this thing we don't have, or we cling to what we have, and if we lose it, we will be devastated, and we're, we're again sold all these different ideas of where life is found. And Lord, I pray that you will shape us individually, Lord, us corporately as a whole church family, as a people, let us live life in light of what is true, in light of who you are. And this morning, Lord, I pray that you will pull back the curtain once again and reveal to us the good news, the truth that Jesus will return and that he will rule over a real place full of real people doing real things all in the presence of God forever. So Lord, we need your help. We need your help this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
picking up right away in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, as Parker just read for us, we kick off. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So we see some language there, right? A new heaven and a new earth, heaven coming down from the sky, right? And so if you're like me, and probably the majority of us here, we've grown up in a church context and in an environment when we talk about heaven, right? We think of some place kind of in an unseen spiritual realm. We don't really know how to think about it, how to engage with it. Certainly how that has anything to do with the world that we live in now. Right? How does, how does heaven, what does that have anything to do with um, agriculture, geography, oceans, physical bodies, right? All the things that we do in our everyday life, mowing the front yard, if you live somewhere other than here, right? Or if you're like me, maybe you still like the, the satisfaction of mowing, but you don't have a yard to mow, so you rake, right? Rake your dirt, uh, like I do. And, uh, and sometimes I even spray it down first, so it gets a li- little harder and it stays a little bit lo- longer. But right, we do these things. What does that have anything to do with the world as it is to come? So it, it actually has everything to do. Okay, because when Jesus returns, so what happened is Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. And then he said, uh, he, he, if over 500 people saw him and then he ascended. He, he, he rose to the right hand of God the Father and he said, I'm coming back. I will be back. And, and when I come, I will usher in my kingdom. And that's what we're talking about, this kingdom. What will the kingdom of God be? The kingdom of heaven. There's an incredible uh, little video that I'll, I'm actually going to show on Christmas Eve, um, but it's, 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 it's by the Bible Project, and it's to help us understand the relationship, again, between heaven and earth, between, between um, what will be this unseen world and what is and what we interact with. So all of that said, this idea, this image is actually the unseen world where God resides, heaven And the physical realm that God created that you and I operate in and where we are, that this coming together one day will be one. Heaven and earth joined together, unified together. So heaven will not be like this kind of ethereal, floating, translucent, like we're not going to be chubby babies wearing diapers, playing harps, singing worship, you know, songs forever and ever and ever. Like, that's not very exciting for the majority of us. And if it is exciting for you, I'd like to know why. But uh, what about that is so exciting for you? But that's not the message of Scripture. Again, there's a real place. Now, let me say here, you see um, places like where it says in verse 1, the sea was no more. 
So that doesn't mean that the ocean no longer exists now all of a sudden, but the sea is symbolic of the chaos in the physical realm, the world that we live in. To this people, again, a couple of thousand of years ago, when they hear the sea or they think of the sea, it's chaos, it's lack of control, it's things are the way they shouldn't be. Think of it in our day as potholes will be no more, right? We live in Tucson, and uh, we've all had our backs thrown out once or twice by hitting an unexpected pothole, right? It's just the world as it is physically, but perfect, without chaos. Another passage, it speaks of this. It just helps enliven our imagination over in chapter 22, verses 1 through 2. It says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and its servants will worship him. So this is a, a look back to the Garden of Eden. In the very beginning, when God created the whole world, the earth and the seas and the stars and everything in it, and God said, it is good, it is good. And then when he created humanity, you and me and us, image bearers of God. He said, it is very good. And God dwelt among his people. He walked in the cool of the day in the garden that he had created, and his people walked with him. And it was full of joy and, and delight, and life was meant to be lived fully in the presence of God, physically, Okay, but then when humanity, you and me, turned away from God, all of us said, no, thanks, God. We don't want to follow you as God. We don't want to reflect you. We don't want our identity and our purpose and our relationships and our life and our work and our hobbies to flow out of you, to be lived before your face. We actually want to hide from you. We want to usurp you as God, and that's sin. That's the world not the way it should be. That's life lived in rebellion with God and in competition, in enmity with each other. And everything was affected. Everything was impacted. In fact, another passage that helps us understand this is in the, again, in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. I have it up here. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, again, the physical world, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So when Jesus returns, he will rule over a real place, his creation fully set free from the 
bondage it's currently in, the chaos that we know the world as it is, right? A physical, real place, but completely free from all that is currently broken, all that is currently not the way it should be, right? Natural disasters, this fight between humans and the, and the, and the physical world, right? All of that will still be a Jesus will return to rule over a real place, and that place will be full of real people. Again, now let's look in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. How many things? All things. Jesus declares, I am making all things new. And he also said, write this down, right? You can take this to the bank for these words are trustworthy and true. We see in these verses here, the authority and power and the goodness of God. The the cross we have up here every week reminds us most clearly of the authority and power and the goodness of God. There we see that God deals with our rebellion. He deals with evil. He deals with sin. He deals with suffering. He deals with all the effects of our rebellion against him. We see his power and we see his goodness because he dealt with it all sacrificially. He dealt with it all by putting himself on the cross. And so as we read this passage right here that that reflects Jesus right now on the throne, authoritatively, powerfully declaring what he's doing, declaring what is true, but also his goodness and his tenderness, wiping away tears, comforting those who are suffering, those who are mourning. He will rule over a real people. He says, I'm making all things new. That means it's better. Again, for those of us like who have different ailments, who, who have experienced physical pain, who have experienced life lived in a world that is full of chaos and suffering, though it feels like it sometimes, the good news is not that you will just be given this kind of ethereal spirit one day and live for all eternity, kind of floating through the universe. No, the good news is that those who are unable to run will one day be able to run. That my older brother who passed away a couple of years ago who was born without arms that we will be able to hug. And not just as he leans in with his shoulder, though that was sweet and good, and I miss that, that I'll be able to experience his arms wrapped around me. That those of us who wear glasses or are unable to see or are hearing impaired or have speech impediments, 
or have suffered and are in wheelchairs, that we will be real people with real physical bodies that Jesus fully restores. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we get a, a glimpse, a foreshadowing of what this looks like, that Jesus actually rose from the dead and in his physical resurrected body, he still somehow bore the reality of his suffering, but he now wears them as, as, as signs of victory. His, his, his side that was pierced, his, his hands and feet that were pierced on behalf of those he loves, on those he died for, he still has, but he is now re resurrected. He's victorious. He's, he's, he's powerful. He's glorified. And that's a foreshadowing. That's a picture of what those who follow Jesus get to look forward to. Jesus will return and will rule in a real place over real people. Now in verse three there, if you, um, you can do a deep dive into this somewhere else, and, but some of you may have a translation, perhaps like the New American Standard Bible in verse three, where it says that he will, um, they will be his people, and the NASB in some translations say peoples, and some say people, but the idea in, 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 in all of it is, is a collective is a, is, a, is a full breadth of the humanity of the world. It's every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And yet, again, we tend to think of, oh, Jesus will rule over a people, maybe, you know, floating and visible chubby babies or, you know, these things. And now as we establish, no, it's a real people. And as Re Revelation chapter 7 paints this beautiful picture, it's a collection of all kinds of different people. As I prepared this week, you know what came to mind for me? Black Panther. How many of you have seen the, the movie, The Black Panther? I think it's Marvel's best. You might want to argue with me or whatever. It was my fa favorite one and uh, the f first one. And there's this scene where you have um, people coming and you have different groups of people coming and you have the people from the mountains and the people from the seas and the people from the plains and spoke. Spoiler alert, uh, uh, alert, the one from the plains, the, uh, the king, the Black Panther, he wins this war, but they battle for who will rule over this group of people. But this picture is people coming from different places and they come and they reflect their different cultures and their different backgrounds and they reflect what it looks like to, to, to rule and reign in the mountains and then what it looks like to rule and reign and thrive in the seas and again, what it looks to rule and reign and thrive in the plains. And it's this incredible picture. And that's what we have here, this idea, even further down in chapter 22, and I, I'm not going to go into it too much right now, but, but you have this picture of people coming and representing all their different cultures. Jesus will rule over a real place full of real peoples. I'm going to just put this out there and we can talk about it some other time if you want, but uh, God's not colorblind. Right, that, that, that phrase gets like thrown out there a lot, sadly, especially in churches. I understand the sentiment, understand where it's coming from, but I think that's actually, most of us assume that means, oh, he just sees my color, right? But, in, but everyone else just kind of blends in. But no, the, the idea, the picture in, in, in this new kingdom that Jesus is ushering in is that people from every ethnos, every ethnicity, every cultural background will come and not unlike the Black Panther, they won't fight with each other over whose will win out. 
over who will rule, but no, we will all come together because God is so big. Okay, hear me, somebody. God is so big that any one group of people doesn't reflect him perfectly. And so we will all come together and we'll, and we'll gather together so that we can collectively be his people reflecting, bearing his image together. That Jesus is ruling over a real place full of real peoples and together we get to live life alongside each other for all eternity. And it is good and it is glorious and it is worth pressing into. So I just want to ask this question, even consider with me, How does the fact of Jesus ruling over real people for all eternity with real bodies, how does that shape your life now? Again, circling back to what we started with, we're in this fight, right? We're in this battle to think that what we experience is all that is and that what God says, especially what God says about tomorrow, what God says about eternity, that doesn't really inform my life now. What does it look like for you to imagine yourself following Jesus in a real physical place with a real physical body alongside others from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity, every culture, worshiping him forever, for all eternity How does that inform your life now? Maybe your own body. Maybe your relationship with food, with exercise, with pain, with suffering, with injury. Maybe it's just, it hurts too much. Or maybe we just take it for granted. And again, Sumo, it's all going to go away anyway. I don't need to think about it. What What would it look like, though, to imagine your own body I don't fully know what it looks like. I, I got a glimpse of it this, uh, this on th- Thursday. Some of us in here played in a t- turkey b- bowl. I only see a couple of us here. Maybe some others are still hurting, but it was harder to get up in the morning, right? It was, some of us are still hurting like th- a few days after, right? Okay, some of you aren't even lo- looking at me, are you? Yeah, it, but it was a little glimpse. Like every time I run, I wonder what's going to go out, <laughs> right? And I, I kind of take life. So this morning, this isn't like a humble brag because I only do it on Sunday mornings because I kind of have to. But I wake up super early at like four in the morning. I go for a little jog. I heard the term a jiggle jog one time. It's more like that. So it's not a run. But I go for a jog. And, uh, and, and, and legitimately, this has happened before. We're like half a mile away from my house. Something in my body goes out and I don't have my phone on me. And so I have to like shuffle back home because I'm like hurting. What will it look like to run in a real place and not worry about something breaking down? Okay, again, I mentioned my older brother earlier. Like what will it look like? I still believe again in a real place. Like again, as for most of us, like chubby floating babies playing harps is not very exciting for the majority of us. Um, but like being able to wrestle with Jacob, if you know the old Testament, which he wrestled with the angel of the Lord and he lost. And so maybe like Jacob and I get to take on the angel of the Lord together and, you know, and see, you know, and maybe we could take him, but no, we can't, we won't. But right. And there'll still be competition. There will be like 
turkey bowls. There was so much good in that. There's competition, there's mud, there's dirt, there's sweat, there's blood in some cases. Some of you, that does not sound good or fun. It was beautiful. It's good. We're spurring each other on through competition, but there will be no torn hamstrings and broken ankles or, or like, you know, hints of unhealthy competition. Some of you know what I'm talking about right now. I definitely do, right? There will not be hints of like my identity is found in, 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 in making, you know, an interception or scoring a touchdown or looking good in front of these people or, or you know, challenging and one-upping one another. Somehow there will be this world where everything is as it should be. What does it look like for us to press into that now? to bear each other's burdens, to suffer with those who are suffering, to pray for one another, to ask for healing, to ask, as Marcus said at the very beginning, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, if it's your will, will you heal those who are suffering? You're sovereign. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to. We, we look forward with hope that one day these, these disabilities abilities, these sufferings, these struggles will be gone once and for all. Lord, will you, would you even let that be true now? You can. What would it look like for us to, again, have the, the, the lines blurred a little more between the world full of suffering we're in now and the world full of healing and joy and goodness that we look forward to, that we anticipate? Jesus will rule in a real place over a real people, doing real things. This is another one that just excites me. Pick up with me in verse 3 of chapter 22, and we'll have it up here. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Okay, to understand what it looks like to worship Jesus for all eternity, Eternity. Okay, again, hear me, okay? If you're, if you're zoning out track with me, which I don't expect you, you are, because this is ex- exciting stuff. I, I admit that a, an eternal worship session, like a choir concert, does not excite me at all. In fact, it sounds really, really boring. I love where I love our time of worship. I love singing. Uh, I love when certain people lead worship and they'll use the phrase. Sometimes some of us might not even notice that they say now as we continue in our time of what musical worship, right? That's an aspect of worship. It's an important part of worship. We do it when we go to sports games, when the, you know, U of A wins hypothetically, you know, 56 to 20 something. We, you know, uh, you know, when, when we cheer for our teams, right? We, ex- we, we, we yell, we hold our hands up, we do that. That should be reflected. We do that in everyday life. We should do that in our corporate worship, in our singing worship. But that's not all there is. All right, how, we worship with what? Oh, all of life. Someone should put that on a shirt, right? With everything we do, with all, all that we are and all that we do. How do you know you lo- love someone or how do you let someone know that you love them? Yes, you say it, maybe you sing it, but you do stuff, right? Your life reflects it. You, you display your love through how you interact, through what you do, right? Through, through what you do when you wake up, what you do when you lie down, everything you do in between, through, through gifts, through words, through physical interaction. How do we worship? How will we worship for all eternity? By doing stuff, 
The Bible is full of God calling his people to worship them and then calling them out on the ways they have not worshiped him with their lives, with their hobbies, with their work, in their marriages, in their relationships, in their friendships, in their homes, in their relationships with their kids. One day for all eternity, we will do things. When Jesus says, I'm making all things new, it means everything. I've, I've, I've used this illustration before, but sometimes I think we view Jesus dealing with sin and then inviting us into heaven as like as if we got beaten up by a bully and the bully took our shoes, the bully took our lunch money, the bully took our pride, took everything we do, and then all of a sudden God, the like grandfatherly figure, comes in very nicely and kindly and kind of gathers us and brings us into his bosom and pats our head and doesn't do anything to deal with all that the boom fully had taken away from us. Doesn't get our shoes back, doesn't get our lunch money, doesn't, doesn't restore us other than just kind of comfort us. But the message of scripture is that everything that has been taken by the bully, everything that sin has brought about, Jesus comes and deals with and restores and makes better and renews and then invites us now to participate in and to thrive in forever. Work, hobbies, everything you and I do with our physical bodies on this broken world that is not the way it should be, Jesus says he is making new and invites us to participate in forever. I encourage you in our redemption communities with your kids, with your roommates, with your families to awaken and enliven our imaginations a little bit. For the, just some jobs, right? What comes to mind? Boom. Builders, contractors, car mechanics, police officers, engineers at Raytheon, pilots, right at Davis Mountain, creatures, anyone? Custodians, right? Garbage collectors, farmers, everything we set our hands to, everything we do, and I'm sorry if I didn't mean mention yours, right? If I didn't give you a, a, a shout out, but everything we can put our hands to, our hobbies, our, our work, we'll get to do somehow perfectly restored. It can be hard to even imagine, right? I'll just stick on car mechanics because I can't do almost anything on a car. But so I have a lot of appreciation for those who can. But somehow you press into that. And we were in a conversation with our kids when they were in kindergarten. They said, yeah, it's, they said something about in heaven one day. And they said, yeah, there obviously won't be cars. And then we talked about it a little more. And they were in first grade, actually. And, and, uh, and I remember their teacher had talked about the impact that that cars have on the world or around us. And, and as we're, you know, talking about that and, and, and he's like, well, cause obviously everything's good. So, you know, cars are bad. And as we press in, we talk in, well, no, are they all bad? No. Okay. Are there good things that cars do? Yeah. Well, do you think, and we just pressed in and what would it look like for cars to, uh, to, to actually somehow thrive on things and operate on things that, that, that are actually good for the environment. 
And that, you know, somehow when we get from point A to point B and, 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 and you know, there are people who love cars, right? Who like, I live right by a place that has like all these old cars that people restore and I am not that person again, but I have this idea. I have a broken down truck that I can't wait to get restored on some level, which means like a new battery and actually operate. But like to have a car that works and like these things are fun and they bring back memories and there's nostalgia, but we just, we don't go there enough. What would it look like for mechanics, for builders, for farmers, right? I'm, again, I can't grow anything. Uh, I'm looking right here at Joel, who can grow lots of things, and he's been helping me. And as, we've, and as over the last couple of years, my, 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 my longing for participating in God's created world has grown. And the idea of, of that for all eternity, of, you know, there's all this language of a feast and people and us feasting and what, how, how much more fun would it be to actually have one of the dishes on the table be something that you got to like plant as a seed in the ground and then, you know, cultivate and take care of and then actually bring and you bring this dish and that dish is part of this wedding feast of the lamb. Again, what we do, we do, we'll do real things. What would it look like for us to actually press into this together, to help enliven our imagination, to help understand that our jobs matter, that where are there things right now that the way I operate in my job actually reflects more of the, of the, the broken, sinful world and the way things shouldn't be than the world as it one day will be, where we can just grieve that and say, you know, I hit my thumb with it, right? They won't always be that way. I won't always struggle with even preaching, even pastoring, even these things. They won't always be this way. Everyone, I've often heard it just assumed, oh, you won't preach in heaven. I don't know. Why are you so sure about that? You know, maybe. And, uh, but, but it won't be, you know, the same, right? It'll look different. What would it look like for us to just let what will be inform and shape what is? And as I land this plane, all of this, all this good that we look f forward to means nothing if it's not Jesus ruling over a real place with real people doing real things in the presence of God. In chapter 22, verses 4 through 5, it says this, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Church, as we close, I want to ask you a question right now. For those of us who don't have a relationship with God, who don't know him at all, it's like talking to a, a blank wall. When you pray, when you, when you, when you cry out, it's just like there's no one there. I want to tell you that Jesus says, come to me. I'm here. I'm calling to you. I'm pursuing you. I want to know you. I want, I want you to know me. I, I want you to experience intimacy with me. And then for those of you who have followed Jesus, who put your trust in him, you've known that. But like 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, it's like you see in a mirror dimly. 
You experience moments of joy, of elation. Maybe you're in your car, you're, you're singing songs of worship and you don't want to open your eyes because you just feel like God is so close. But then un, unfathomably, sometimes just a couple hours down the road or maybe the next day or the next week or the next month, it's like, God, I don't even, I can't, I see you very, it's like a glimpse, like headlights in the distance. Where are you? His promise, his message, his good news is that though we see now as in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. Though we know in part, one day we will know as we are known fully. We won't need the sun. We won't need lights. We won't need to remind each other of God's goodness because we will see him. We will experience him. We will know him. Jesus ruling in a real place full of real people doing real things for God's glory, our joy, and the good of others. And all of it will be in the presence of God forever. Let's pray and continue in our worship and practice pressing into the reality of the good news of what is to come and how that shapes our lives now together as God's people. Again, Lord, thank you for this time we've had in your word. Lord, I pray that my imperfect preaching helps to awaken our hearts to be shaped by the perfect promise of our perfect God who laid down his life perfectly for us and paints the picture of what will one day be where Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our King, will rule over a real place with real people doing real things in the presence of our good and powerful and glorious God forever. In Christ's name we pray, amen.